Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank we invite in the Holy Spirit, and we know that you're here when two or more are gathered in your name. And we qualify. We've got more than two. So we, we know that the Holy Spirit will be with us, and we ask that our hearts be open, that our minds be, be, be willing to listen to your word and to get a little more each day as we come closer to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our Lord. Oh, what a beautiful morning. The desert, the desert is singing his praises. The hand of God. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84:11. In the midst of sorrow and trouble, this life has many blessings and enjoyments that have come from the hand of God. Think of the blessings we easily take for granted from life itself. It is the preservation from danger, every bit of health we enjoy, every hour of liberty, the ability to speak, hear, and to see, to think, to imagine. And I'm gonna add, to gather in the house of the Lord to worship on a Sunday. Most of all, God has given us the gift of Christ. What should our response be? We can put it into one word, gratitude. But how do we show our gratitude? By giving back to him a part of what he has given us. What have you done lately to show your gratitude to God for all that he has done for you and is doing for you? The hope for today, in scripture, God commands his people to tell future generations about all that he has done for them. We express our gratitude to God by telling others and in the process, reminding ourselves of his faithfulness to us. And all God's people said, Amen. Not, he is exalted. Exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord.
Good morning. Isaiah 61 is a special passage of scripture, promises of God's presence with us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. There's a song in there. Yeah. <laughs> you want to sing it? Sure. He gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we might be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and then 16 through 21. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to play, pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when, you're, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. <laughs> then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your Father, 
who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And if you'll join me in the responsive reading. My brothers and sisters reconciled to God by the mercy of Christ, we pray with confidence for the needs of the church and the world. Through Christ, you make us a new creation, O God. For with him we pass from sin to the new life of grace. Accept our prayers in the warm embrace of your compassion and welcome all people to the festive banquet of your table, where we may rejoice in your love and celebrate the inheritance you have given us. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, all you've created all, and the scientists are even finding out that you created more and longer ago than what they thought. They were so sure they understood. But Lord, let us know that you are the one. You are the creator of life, the creator of all. But you want us, and you share it with us, but you call on us to give back, to give openly, to give freely, to give humbly. So Lord, we please accept these gifts that we give today, that we may use them in a way that is pleasing in your sight. This we ask, in your son Jesus' name, amen. I saw what I saw and I can't forget it. I heard what I heard and I can't go back. I know Something along the road Cut me to the soul Your pain has changed me Your dream inspires Your face a memory Your hope a fire Your courage asks me What I'm afraid of And I know of love We've done what we've done And we can't erase it We are what we are And it's more than enough We have what we have But it's no substitution Something on the road Cut me to the soul Your pain has changed me Your dream
Sarah Groves is a uh, singer-songwriter. A lot of people other than in the Midwest probably don't know who she is, but she is very, very popular in the Midwest. But uh, this is a video of her trip to Rwanda. You don't have to go to Rwanda to find hurting and desperate people. They're on every street corner in this town. Is there something worse than living in a mud hut and starving? Perhaps living under an overpass in Tucson, Arizona and starving. The Hutu genocide of the Tutsi people in the 90s in Rwanda devastated its infrastructure. Millions of people were displaced and the devastation remains even to today. But again, you don't have to look far to find genocide. The Mexican cartels are bringing fentanyl over our open borders by the truckload. And the result is 100,000 Americans dying of fentanyl overdose every year. What is compassion? Let me give you a wonderful definition. Compassion is your pain and my heart. Do we have compassion for the homeless here in our own backyard? 
Matthew 5, 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The Catholic Church has a mantra about the poor. It goes like this. It's easier to hear, to receive the gospel on a full stomach. When Jesus preached to the 5,000, you might remember he also fed them. We need to feed the homeless right here in our own backyard. God blesses the poor, those who realize their need of him. What's that mean? The Greek word is tohas. It means destitute of wealth, influence, position, or honor. Lowly, afflicted. Destitute of the virtue and eternal riches of Christ. True poverty is to be unaware of the joy, the merit, and the wholeness of Jesus Christ. Did you notice the uh, radiant smiles on these Rwandan children? Consummate joy. Joy that anyone would care, that anyone would consider their plight, let alone do something about it. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child and set the child before them and said, I assure you, most solemnly I say to you, unless you repent, that is, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, and live changed lives, and become like little children, trusting, humble, and forgiving, you will never enter kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives and welcomes one child, a childlike believer in my name, receives me. There's an entire world of people we can help, but uh, why not start here? Right here in our own backyard. This is the first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is typically observed with the practice of prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. This is a season in which we can get caught up in the trappings of religiosity and console ourselves with the mindless observance of liturgy and thereby lose the reward of renewal for which the season is intended. Or we can put our hearts in it and wake up to an epiphany of soul. Lent is not about self-improvement, nor is it about self-denial. Lent is a time of conversion, a time when we let God do the conversion. Lent is preparation for the season of Passover. The proper name for the season is Passover, not Easter. Easter is a pagan observance rooted in pagan mythology. 
I read uh, a comment researching this, and uh, the King James Version of the Bible is uh, of the mainstream translation is the only translation that substitutes Easter for Passover. And um, many are chagrined by that. I personally think that uh, the King James translators thought that they might endure or endear the uh, English, the British readers, but they, they really did the uh, scriptures a disservice because the original Greek is Passover. And I'm sure the translators thought, well, we'll, we'll substitute Easter because that's what most people know it as. Still incorrect. There are no bunny rabbits or chocolate candies associated with Jesus, the Passover lamb. Jesus is the last sacrificial lamb and was offered up as the all-sufficient sacrifice for all mankind. Lent is not, nor should it be, viewed as self-improvement. Rather, it is a time for allowing God to transform us. Lent is a time of intentional cooperation with God's graces. Where God leads and we follow, like a good dance partner. We can choose to follow or not, but God is always in the lead. And when we let him be in the lead, it is a beautiful dance. But what exactly should Lent look like in practice? The answer will be difficult for each of us. It's a very individual thing. But at its heart, Lent is following God's lead. And therefore must be grounded in prayer. Lent is a season when we double down on our practice of listening for the voice of God. And then let ourselves be surprised by what God's call on our lives might be. Lent is a season in which we refocus our personal devotions, and more especially our prayer life. But Lent is also a time when we refocus on the blessing of giving. And not just alms to the poor, but giving of our time our very selves to the poor, like donating to the many Christian charities here in Tucson, Gospel Rescue Mission, Gap Ministries. And there's a fabulous little church downtown called God's Good, no, excuse me, Good News Community Church. They reach out to the recovering from drugs, alcohol, and abuse. There's lots we can do. Or how about this? We actually climb out of our car and interface the homeless person at your local Walmart and ask, how can I help you? Don't just hand them a $10 bill and run, but ask them, what's your story? How can I help you? And don't forget to pray for them. I did this... Uh, 
recently, the young man's name was Alan. I asked him, what's gone wrong? What's your story? And uh, it was like pricking a, uh, an infected wound. He just started spilling all that had gone wrong. He'd lost his job. He'd been kicked out of his apartment. They'd repossessed his car. He says, I, luck I was lucky I got away with a bicycle. I said, how can I help you? He says, it's really cold. I, I, I could use a sleeping bag. I said, are you going to be here another 10, 15 minutes? I'll get you a sleeping bag. I brought it back to him, and I prayed for him, and the, um, the gratitude was a huge, huge blessing. I gave him my card, and I said, if things don't turn around, you call me. He hasn't called. So apparently that prayer was effective. Prayer, giving alms, fasting, these are the traditional practices of Lent, but fasting does not apply just to food. What if this year we fast from judging another person's heart? What if we fast from judging what we do not know? The inner workings of that heart. When we do not know the grief and the turmoil that they're struggling with, what if we fast from judging others? What if this Lenten season we dedicate ourselves to allowing God to direct us to a hurting soul and simply ask, how may I pray for you? How may I support you? And be prepared to not only offer your prayers but your friendship and Christ-like compassion. There are so many things we can deny ourselves of besides food during Lent. Turn off the TV one night a week and dedicate that time to prayer for revival in this country. Come join us on Thursday nights when we pray for the needs of this church and this congregation, this city. We fast on Thursdays and Break that fast at 6 o'clock. Come share a supper with us. Pray with us. Or perhaps God is calling you to add a different form of prayer to your life. A time of silence each morning or each evening. A time to just sit before God and listen. Fast from your busyness. Fast from your self-absorption. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but Lent is a perfect time to seek the Lord and ask, Lord, what mission do you have for me this year? Where should I focus my energies for your kingdom this year? Dare to pray this prayer. Lord, what are you calling me to? I am willing, Lord, and if I'm not willing, make me willing. Lord, this Lent is yours. Prepare my heart for the joy of joining you in what you're doing, not only in this city, but in this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this country. 
we bless your name that it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Sadly, we have drifted far away from those principles. But you are gracious, and we call on that grace. We ask you to renew that grace, renew our hearts. Speak to us during this time of Lent as we focus on you. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, bless the words of this message. I pray that you will levy your Holy Spirit on each heart here this morning and speak distinctly to us of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Slide one, please. You're so fortunate, you get two sermons this morning. My sermon this morning is, I am the resurrection and the life. Our text will be John 11, verses 1 through 11. Can you give a slide two, please? A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured an expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it's happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, only a few days ago the people of Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Slide three, please. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave four days. We need to note here that Jesus' delay is intentional. But what it means is that what he has been teaching is this. His marching orders come exclusively from the Father. Neither the needs of his closest friends nor the fury of his enemies dictate his timeline. Back to the text. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people who had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, 
But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's not exactly full of faith, is it? I believe actually she's trying to reprimand Jesus. Why didn't you come on the way called? If you had come, he would not have died. Slide four, please. Verse 22, but even now I know, this is Martha, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I am the resurrection and the life. That Greek word there is pretty powerful, life. The Greek word translated into English as life is zoe. And it means the absolute fullness of life. John 10, 10. I have come so that all that believe in me will have life and life abundantly. Zoe means life, real and genuine. Active and vigorous, devoted to God. The blessed estate of those who in this present world put their trust in Christ. But after their resurrection will receive a new and perfect body which will last forever. Can I hear an amen? Verse 28, then Martha returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Slide five, please. Verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her. And a deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled. Why? John 1 verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. At every turn in Christ's ministry, he is faced with unbelief, and unbelief from his own people. He is received as a prophet, but not Messiah. Verse 34, Jesus asks, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. The shortest sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. That word in the Greek, I'm not sure we have words that powerful in English. Jesus wept. The closest comparable passion 
to his weeping here is Christ in Gethsemane. Why did Jesus weep? One of my favorite pastors in Leesburg, Virginia, Gary Hamrick, said he was emotionally present in the moment. Indeed he was. Have you ever seen the movie Gods and Generals? It's a wonderful movie. You, uh, you should try to rent it. It is uh, more or less an autobiography, uh, well, no, a biography of Stonewall Jackson during the Civil War. Stonewall Jackson was a hair-on-fire Christian. He um, was known for many things, but his faith was paramount among what he was known for. If he had to fight on a Sunday, when the battle was over, the very next day that he could rest, whatever day that was, he would pray, he would fast. There's the story of one of his contemporaries who uh, rushed to see him and didn't notice that his tent was completely closed, rips open the tent and Jackson's on his knees praying. And he says to himself, so this is where he gets his power. This is where he gets his intellect from war. But um, Jackson in the movie, his uh, troops are advancing and they come upon a farm and a farmhouse and he asks if these people would be willing to let his soldiers shelter in their pastures and if they could possibly, his officers could possibly use a corner of their house to uh, regroup and uh, plan. And this family warmly welcomes he and his army. And while Jackson is there, he is befriended by a little girl, probably six years of age. She's the daughter of this couple that owns the farm. And uh, she is every bit as enamored of Stonewall Jackson as he is of her. Well, as the story progresses, his army moves out, and they're engaged in another battle, and uh, after that battle is over, Jackson receives a courier. This little girl had contracted typhoid fever just before he left. He thought so much of her, he left his own personal physician to care for her. But after the battle and he receives this news, he finds a stump of a tree, sits down, and begins to weep. The little girl did not survive the fever. And his officers gather and say, of all the carnage, of all the young men that he's had to hold their hand as they died, why now does he weep? <clears throat> One of the officers, excuse me, 
that knew him well said this. He's weeping for them all. Finally, his emotions crested and he wept bitterly. Here, Jesus is weeping for them all. Not only for Mary and Martha, but he's weeping for all of Israel. He's weeping for all who have let his promised salvation slip through their fingers due to unbelief. Jesus was all man and all God. The God who gifted us with emotions, weeping, crying, our safety valve that lets us purge our deepest emotions and helps us avoid mental breakdown. This Jesus lets his human emotions take over. He lets them erupt and overflow. The God-man, the man in the God-man doesn't cry, he weeps bitterly. And all his emotions are on full display from fermenting anger to deepest grief. Have you ever wept in consternation? I'm sure you have. When your pain is intense, but you really can't comprehend why the situation has happened, nor why has it happened at the worst time. You cannot reason as to why. And it's absolutely destroyed you. Why did this have to happen? There's no way you can rationalize it. No way you can reconcile it. All that you can do is trust God. You simply have no other choice. When you get low, really low, remember what Isaiah said. He, Jesus, was a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. Back to the text, verse 36. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved Lazarus? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Here again, the Greek word is much more powerful than the way it was translated into English. The Greek word is a word that you use for an animal, that uh, specifically a horse that is out of control. The way their nostrils flare and they snort. The best way to translate it to this situation is Jesus is shaking with anger. I believe the anger that Jesus feels here is the same anger that caused him to open up the earth and swallow 3,000 who rebelled against Moses. Do you remember that story of Dathan and Korah? Formed a rebellion against Moses. 
And the Lord told Moses, Dathan, Korah, tell them to bivouac over here. They all form a group. And then the Lord whispers to Moses, get as far away from their tents as you can. And the earth opens up and 3,000 were swallowed up. I believe this is the kind of anger Jesus is feeling. Back to the text. As he arrived at the tomb, which was a cave with the stone rolled across this entrance, he said, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Anyone who tells you that doing the will of God is always going to be a rose garden, they lied to you. Or they have no idea what they're talking about. The wages may be poor, but the benefits are heavenly. Doing God's will. Slide six, please. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So that they will believe you sent me. Remember, Jesus' anger is all about their unbelief. Slide seven, please. And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. You notice he said, Lazarus, come out. Had he said, come out, the entire graveyard would have resurrected. Here again, the Greek word, far more powerful descriptive than the way we have translated it into English. The Greek word says that Jesus shouted at the pinnacle force of his voice. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Do you not find it interesting that nowhere in Scripture is there a record of Lazarus making any comments about being brought back to life? You'd think he might say, boy, it's great to be back. I missed you guys. Let's celebrate. Not a word. If anything, I think Lazarus was morose. I think he was dejected that he was recalled from paradise. Paradise was not heaven. However, it's very, very close. Remember, while Jesus' body was in the grave, he went to paradise and emptied it out and conveyed all those people to God's heaven. 
I want you to take note of all the people you see on TV, well, particularly YouTube, that have died and gone to heaven and came back. They say they've seen God. They say they've seen Jesus. They've seen relatives. What they have seen is a vision. They did not literally see God. St. Paul was called up to the third heaven and said absolutely nothing about it. St. Paul was encountered by Christ on the Damascus Road, but what did he see? Bright light. Just a bright light, a blinding light. These people have all seen visions. They did not see God or they would not have lived to tell about it. No man has seen God and lived. All the major prophets had visions of heaven. Visions. John's revelation is a vision. But that vision is God's word, and therefore it is absolute truth. But to see Jesus in all his glory, you would not survive. Moses asked God on Mount Sinai as he was receiving the Ten Commandments, let me see your glory. Let me tell you what actually happened. God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, and then he passed by that cleft of the rock. And all that Moses saw was the afterglow. He saw where God was a millisecond ago. He did not see God in all his glory. Or he, that would have been the end of the story of Moses. We live our lives in the warmth and intense radiance of our sun. But we dare not look directly at it. We trifle with God's glory. We do not accord him the glory he deserves. Even so, he is supremely gracious with us. Very gracious indeed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we would see your glory manifest in our lives. St. Paul told us, Lord, that we see through a piece of smoked glass. We see only elements of your great glory. Father, we look forward to the day when we will know you as we are known by you. Hurry that day, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Show us slide number eight, please. 
in uh, lieu of our benediction, I promise you we would visit uh, that list of 10 questions. If you remember, I passed that out a couple of weeks ago. 10 questions that ask, are we truly alive to Christ? Question number five, have you been finding Scripture to be alive and active in your life? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is not only a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, it is a searchlight that illuminates the very depths of our souls, highlighting our indiscretions, our omissions, all of our sins. Slide nine, please. For us to come out of the shadows and live in the light, we must be in the Word. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Scotch tape, tape that to your refrigerator this week. And just a few more words about Lent. Uh, in your bulletins this morning, you'll find an insert entitled Readings for Lent. I would challenge you to read uh, one verse a day for four days. Then on the fifth day, just reverse, reserve some time to sit before the Lord and listen, a quiet time to hear that still small voice and make a point of communing with God. Blessings to you all. If you'd like to stand, I'll sing of my redeemer.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you care for each one of us, that your son wept, that he was angry, that things had happened that he knew would happen, that those that people did not believe strongly enough in him, that he could reverse what was inevitable. So Lord, we ask for that type of faith, that we trust in you absolutely, and that we know that you love us, and Lord, that we want to love you every moment of every day. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.